Psalm 34, 8. David wrote, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. David, as the psalmist, invites us here to taste and see that the Lord is good. That word taste, taste is to, means to experience directly, firsthand. It, if I have a beautiful meal that's set before me, the only way that I can know if it's truly good is to taste it. I need to experience it firsthand to know of its goodness. I mean, you can tell me, this is great! But until I taste it myself, I can't really know that it's good. David is telling us, don't just take my word for it. Experience the goodness of the Lord for yourself. To see, it means to examine, to consider, to understand. This expression, see, it's more than simply seeing what something looks like at a glance. It's a careful examination to consider with the mind, to seek to understand. So, Taste and see is an invitation to experience firsthand and to consider with our understanding that the Lord is good. God is good. Think about that simple declaration. God is good. Let it sink into your mind. Let it fill your heart with its truth. Let the implications of it touch you challenge you, encourage you, confront you, humble you, settle you, cause you to worship. God is good. It's my heart to remind us of God's goodness today. There's been so much crazy, unexpected, unexplainable, unthinkable stuff that's happened in our lives over the past many months. And there is going to be more crazy, unexpected, unexplainable, unthinkable stuff that's going to be happening in our lives in coming days. It's good for us to remember and to reflect upon the goodness of God. I became a Christian, a follower of Jesus, when I was in college. And during those early days as a new believer, I attended a home Bible study that was not far from where I lived at the time. And part of the regular routine of that Bible study was all of us breaking into small groups for prayer following the teaching portion of the study. The guy who led the prayer group that I was in was this big, gentle bear of a man. And he would always say before we began praying, God is good. He was very sincere about it. He really meant it. It wasn't for show or out of habit. He would let everyone in the group get settled and, and quiet, and then he would say, God is good. And then we would go into prayer. Well, as a new believer at the time, I didn't really understand why he would say that. I mean, I was thinking to myself, why does he always say that. Of course, God is good. Why does he always feel the need to state the obvious? Well, as time went on, though, that simple declaration, God is good, which he would say every time without fail, 
it started to sink into my mind and my heart and, it, and changed the way that I thought about God and the way I approached God in prayer. God is good. Having that truth at the front of my mind when we would go before the Lord in prayer, it changed my attitude toward God, toward myself, toward my circumstances, toward the requests that I was making to God. It changed my perspective on everything. God is good. It was the anchor that everything else was tethered to. It was what everything else was referenced back to. It was the central idea from which all other thoughts were launched. It was a very clever and wise thing that prayer group leader was doing for all of us. And I'm so grateful even now, for the lesson that I was taught in that prayer group all those years ago, it's one of the simplest but most useful, most important things I have ever learned. God is good. The goodness of God is proclaimed throughout the Bible hundreds of times. Just a, a few quick samples would be Psalm 107.1. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Nahum 1.7 says, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust Him. Psalm 86.5 says, You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call on You. God is perfectly, completely, absolutely Good. He defines good. Without the goodness of God, we would not even know what good is. We wouldn't be able to talk about any other kinds of goodness without the goodness of God first existing. By definition, nothing can be added to God's goodness. It can't be improved upon. It can't get any better than it is. It can't decrease in any way. It is a perfect, unassailable goodness. God's goodness has no limits. It never ceases. It's eternal. It never runs out. It is never lost. God is ultimately the source of all good. James 1.17, he wrote, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God is good to everyone and everything. No one is excluded from God's goodness. God is good even to those who don't believe in God. Psalm 145, 9, it says, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all He has made. Matthew 5, 45 says, He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God's goodness is displayed in the creation. In the description of the creating of the world in Genesis chapter 1, God declares seven times that what He has made was good. He says, it is good. And then, in the last verse of that chapter, verse 31, as God surveys all that He has made, He declares that it was very good. Good stuff 
comes from a good God. The stuff God has created expresses His goodness. Romans 1.20 says that God's qualities, like His eternal power and His divine nature and His goodness, can be seen and understood through the creation. Psalm 19, 19, verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. Have you ever been to Yosemite Valley? Or maybe stood on the shore of the Pacific Ocean as the waves are rolling in? Or perhaps looked at the snow-covered peaks of the Sierra Nevada mountains, or looked down into the crystal deep blue of Lake Tahoe, or viewed any of the countless other places on this planet that display the glory of God. These places all speak to our hearts of God's goodness. The goodness of God is on display all around us if we will just notice it. I mean, take fruit as an example. I like, I, I mean, I, I think fruit is a direct tap into the goodness of God in a very tactile way. I mean, when David says in that psalm, taste and see that the Lord is good, fruit gives us a literal way of doing that, of tasting the goodness of God. I heard someone say the other day, I don't like fruit. I didn't even know how to react to that. I don't like fruit. I mean, how can you even say something like that when you consider the thousands, the thousands of different kinds of fruit that exist? Fruit caused me to worship the Lord. The beauty, the taste, the variety, it's all so amazingly wonderful. Strawberries and peaches and apples and blueberries and kiwis and pears and mangoes and bananas and raspberries and grapes and dates and apricots and plums and on and on. Did you know there are 7,500 varieties of apples that we know of? The delicious world that the Lord has made for us to enjoy. It's an expression of His goodness. I mean, He could have left taste buds out of our mouth completely. But He wanted us to enjoy the things that He's made for us to eat. Why? Because God is good. And when we taste good things, it reminds us of His goodness. God is good to His children at all times. I mean, we don't always see good in what's happening in our life. Sometimes it looks really awful from where we're sitting. We've been given a promise that the Lord is going to bring good out of everything ultimately. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. Does that mean that we are to go through life in some delusional state, lying to ourselves and others about the realities of life? No. It means, though, that our story isn't over yet. 
there's another chapter coming, and it's going to be a good one. No matter how tragic the current chapter of your life is, and knowing that there is still another chapter, and our story has a happy ending, it makes all the difference in the world. Heaven is real. Our final redemption is real. Salvation's completed work is coming. And knowing all of that fills God's children with hope and strength in this life. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4.17, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know, if we look up the word good in the dictionary, we find that it has a number of different definitions for the word good, depending on how it's used. Uh, the, the goodness of God, it satisfies all of those definitions. Let me give you ten. Good means right for the purpose. God is right for us. He perfectly suits us. We were created to have fellowship with God. We function best when we are in fellowship with Him. When we're in fellowship with God, we are fulfilling God's good, eternal purpose for us. Good means helpful, beneficial. God is good for us. There is nothing else in all of existence that's better for us than God. See, if you're looking to improve yourself, the best place to start is with God. 1 Timothy 4.8 says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Good means fresh, unspoiled. God is always good. He never changes. He never spoils. He's always fresh. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Lord is referred to as the living God. He's not the dead God, the tired God, the stale God, the God that was. He's always the God who is the great I am. Good means valid, genuine, real. God is genuine. He's not fake. He's not counterfeit. He's not an imposter. He's the most real thing in existence. He spoke everything else into being. He's got to be real. He's what philosophers call the prime mover, the one from which everything else derives its existence. Good means sound, reliable, dependable. God is reliable and dependable. We can count on Him always. Psalm 18, 2, it says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Good means enjoyable. God is enjoyable. He's a pleasure to know. He produces joy in our life. God doesn't want me to, to know Him to make me miserable. He wants to be in my life to bring me joy, to give me peace, to give me a reason for living, to give me hope for the future, to enrich my life in every way. Jesus said in John 10.10 10, that he came to give us 
life, life to the full, he said, or abundant, satisfying, richer, overflowing life. Good means complete. God is complete. He requires no thing outside of himself for existence or survival. He needs nothing. He's perfectly whole. And as a result, he can make us complete and whole. You know, and, until God comes into our life, we can feel like a jigsaw puzzle with some of the important pieces missing. I remember doing jigsaw puzzles when I was a kid, and apparently there's been a whole resurgence of jigsaw puzzles during this whole, you know, holding up inside your house during the coronavirus thing. But one of the most frustrating things for me was to put the last piece of the puzzle that I had available into place and discover that there were some pieces missing. I felt like I had just wasted all of that time putting that puzzle together if there were some pieces missing. The missing pieces, they robbed me of the gratification that I could have had from putting that puzzle together. Without every piece in place, the puzzle wasn't complete. When Jesus Christ comes into our life, it's like finally getting all of the missing pieces put into place. We're complete. We're whole. You feel good. Good means satisfying, fulfilling. God is the most satisfying thing that we can experience. Makes me think of Isaiah 55, 1, where it says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what's not bread and your labor and what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Good means morally sound or excellent. God, he is morally perfect. We are never going to see a press release from heaven stating that God has had a moral failure. Matthew 5, 48, Jesus said, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Good means desirable. God is the most desirable thing in existence. Therefore, delight yourselves in the Lord. Psalm 37, 4 says, Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Make the Lord your primary desire, and your heart will be forever full. Some people question the goodness of God. They reason that if God is truly good, then He would not allow pain and suffering and evil to exist. But since pain, suffering, and evil do exist, God must either not be good, or He lacks the power to do anything about it. Well, first, I think it's a bit contradictory for us to expect God to not allow pain, suffering, and evil in this world, and at the same time, want our freedom to do as we please without God's interference. We can't have it both ways. If we want God to remove the possibility of pain and suffering and evil, then 
we're going to have to give up our freedom. If we want some measure of freedom, moral freedom, then we're going to have to accept the consequences, which include the possibility for pain and suffering and evil. You you see, there are 7.8 billion people all making choices for themselves in this world. There are going to be some collisions, a lot of collisions. If we want God to eliminate pain and suffering and evil from our world, we're going to have to face the reality that you and I are most likely going to be part of what he's going to have to get rid of. (laughs) See, this is a real world that we live in with real choices that we can make which carry real consequences, both good and bad. If we want to live in a toy world, then we're going to have to accept becoming toys ourselves. See, for love to exist, there must be the possibility for the refusal to love to also exist. If God wanted a world of toys that mechanically would say to him, I love you, he could have easily done that. What is so astounding is to consider that God thought real love to be worth it. So he chose to allow for the possibility of pain and suffering and evil to also exist so that love could exist. Finally, God has done something about our pain and suffering and the evil in this world. What he's done demonstrates that he is intensely personal, caring, and good. In the person of Jesus Christ, God entered our world. He took on the flesh and bone of a human being, was born into poverty, suffered throughout his life, was falsely accused and convicted as a criminal, was rejected and abandoned by family and friends, and finally tortured to death. He went through all of that for us to experience our suffering firsthand, to tell you and me in very real terms that he loves us and to make it possible for us to be rescued from this present state of this damaged and broken world. He took upon himself the consequences of our sin and offers to us his goodness in exchange. Well, what should be our response to the goodness of God? 1 Peter 2.1, Peter writes this, he says, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now that we have tasted that the Lord is good, We're encouraged to go on in our relationship with God, to get closer to Him, to grow and mature in Christ, to crave the pure spiritual milk of the Word of God, which provides the nourishment we need to grow in Him. Psalm 19, 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. 
The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. What should be our response to the goodness of God? Secondly, imitate the goodness of God in our own life, using Jesus as our example. Ephesians 5.1 says, and it says the same thing in many places, it says, follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. How should we respond to God's goodness? Third is overcome evil with good. Romans 12.21, it says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It may sound contradictory, but the most powerful weapon that we have against evil is good. Practice goodness. So in closing, God is good. Let that truth be the anchor that everything else is tethered to. Let it be the central idea from which all of your other thoughts are launched. God is good. God is good. Let's bow our heads. You are good, Lord. We ask, Father, that that truth would fill us, our minds and our hearts, as all of this other stuff is pressing in upon us. That that would be the central truth, the anchor, that central idea. Would be the core for us. God is good. In Jesus' name.